we have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Romans, um, as you can expect, as we've been in Romans, uh, looking at the foundations of our faith. And that main foundation, that main pillar of our faith is obviously Christ, but the gospel itself. What is that good news? What is that message that God has given to us and is used to save us? What is that message? If there's anything that we all agree on, it has to be this. If, if somebody came and asked each and every single one of us, what must a man do to be saved? What must a woman do to be saved? We should all have the same answer to that question, obviously. So that's why we're going through this, this series of what is the gospel. And we see that in the first four chapters of Romans. We talked about how the thesis verse for this book is Romans 1.16. Now, normally I would have Ty put that up on the screen, but I'm, we're going to do a little test this morning, all right? We're going to see how good you guys have been kind of memorizing, committing this to heart. So I'm going to read this verse to you guys, Romans 1.16-17, and then I'm going to give some blanks, some spaces, and I'm going to let you fill in, all right? So I think you got it, all right? So Romans 1.16 says this. Um, It says, for I am not ashamed of the what? Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, the blank of God, righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You guys did great. I mean, it was like it was like when you guys responded, it was like a roar of, of humanity. You guys were so loud. That was good. So Romans 1:16, that thesis statement of this book, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And there's a shape to the gospel we've talked about, right? There's this shape. There's this God, man, Christ, and response shape to the gospel. Who is God? That ruling creator, that gracious savior, that righteous judge. Who is man? Well, we're made in the image of God. We're in rebellion against God, and we're hopeless without God, as we've seen these past few chapters. And then finally, who is Christ? We finally get to this point. Who is this Jesus? How does he fix the problem that we have? How does he, um, uh, how does he put back together what we've broken apart? We're going to see that on, on this day. When we go on a long journey, if you ever think about going on a long journey, sometimes you get on a road that just is not that good of a road, right? Um, maybe you are going out to your uh, aunt and uncles who live in the middle of boondocks nowhere, and you're trying to get there, and you get on that dirt road that just is so bumpy, it feels like your car is going to fall apart. Like every pothole that you hit feels like this wheel is going to fall off, the antenna, we just lost the antenna, like all, all the things are going to fall apart. Maybe you felt like that on some of the roads in Commerce in Miami. I don't know. But if you're on a road that's that bad, you want to see, you're hoping to see exit, next left, exit, next right. You want to get off that road. The last thing you want to see on that bumpy, rough road that is tearing you up and beating you down, the last thing you want to see is 10 more miles, five more miles. And so as we've been on this road We've been on this road for a while. The past few chapters, Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, Paul has thoroughly beat us down. 
with this truth that man is depraved. We are depraved. We are sinful. He has just beaten us up. And if anyone has gone through chap- Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and come out on the other side of it not feeling a little bit beat up, you probably didn't listen very well. You probably didn't hear what God's word said to you because in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, Paul lists basically every human condition that, that sin causes or every human sin that we can commit. In Romans 1, he talked about how the Gentiles without God's law commit all of these really bad sins. And then in Romans 2, he comes along and says, and you, you religious people who think you're exempt to those, you do the same things. And here's how you do those same things. And by the end of Romans chapter 2, we're just we're, we're kind of at the end of our rope. All of us beat up. All of us have found our name written somewhere in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. And when we come to Romans chapter 3, the first part of it is Paul's summary of those two chapters, of chapters 1 and 2. And at the end of his summary, we come to a turn in that road. At the end of this long, bumpy road, there's a turn that's coming. There's a sign that's coming. We can see it in the distance. As it gets close, we want to see... What do we want to see? We don't want to see the words, and so. At the end of Paul's uh, conclusion here of we're all sinners, we're all, in, all, all lost and hopeless without God, we don't want to see the words, and so. Because and so would mean we're going to continue on this road. You're going to get what we've talked about in Romans 1 and Romans 2 if we see the words, and so. However, We don't get the words, and so. We get the words, but now. We don't get the and so. We get the but now. And when the but now comes, that means everything that was just said is going to get flipped upside down. And we're going to talk about it in a way that has not been expected. Because up to this point, Paul's ragging on the Gentiles, ragging on the the Jewish people and the Jewish religious people. And as we come to the end of this, you might think, and so God's wrath will be poured out on humanity. But instead of and so, we get but now. But now. And that's a really great turn in the Bible. It's the greatest turn in the Bible that introduces the greatest paragraph in the Bible, as some have argued. So let's do that. Let's, let's go on this bumpy road of Romans 3. We're going to read um, the first. We're going to start in verse 9 of Romans chapter 3. And we're going to go all the way. Down to 21, and that's when our that's where we're going to focus on on 21 through 26 today. But we're going to start in Romans 9, just to give us a ref- or, sorry Romans chapter 3 verse 9 to give us a refresher. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 says this. But then, are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, 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 both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written. Now you'll notice in your Bible. This is kind of this. These next verses are offset, kind of in the middle. That means that these are some poetic quotes that he's pulling from all the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. He says, "This none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat." is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's Paul's summary of the human race. That's Paul's summary of the human race. Maybe that's your summary of the human race as well. But we go on to verse 19 and he makes this point. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What a summary. What an indictment on me and you. That's what Paul has said about the human race. They're all deceivers and even their religion can't help them. And then we come to verse 21. And remember, we don't see the words. And so the wrath of God is poured out on humanity. We don't see the words and so. We see now the words but now. But now. Let's look through 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets test or witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by the blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There is so much to talk about in that paragraph. It's so beautiful. It's, 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 it is possibly the best paragraph that's in the entire word of God. It's the greatest turn there is in the Bible. And in it, we see this, that in Christ, God's righteousness has appeared. We're going to dig down and talk about what righteousness is. I wanted to preach all, all these verses in one sermon, but I couldn't do it. I could not say everything there is to say about this passage. Not that you ever can in a sermon, but it was just too good to, to not serve it to you guys in, in, in small bites. We had to break this down. So today we're just going to look at righteousness. In Christ, God's righteousness has appeared, has appeared. What is this righteousness that he's talking about? What is this righteousness he's talking about? The word righteous and the word just, if you look through there, you're going to see kind of back and forth. He justifies or he's righteous. Those two words have the same root in Greek. Dikaiao is the, is the Greek word for I justify. And it's the same root. So if he says justify or if he says righteous, just know that that means those are the same word, basically. But you, you don't say the word righteousify in English. So that's why we have to use the word justify in English. But when you see that, it means the same thing. Righteous and just are the same word in the Greek. So as Paul's going through here, he's talking about righteousness. He's talking about the righteousness of God, that which corresponds to who God is and how he's revealed himself. That's righteousness. That which corresponds to who God is. It's not a standard that God meets. You know, you know what I mean by that? It's not a standard outside of himself that God has to live up to 
It's not like there's this standard that's been set by some other being and God's trying to live up to that standard. No, God is the standard of righteousness. He is righteousness. So it's not a standard that he meets. It's who he is. It's an extension of who he is. God's faithfulness and his power, his love and mercy, his righteousness. We'll see the different aspects of his righteousness later on, but suffice it to say that God's righteousness is that which corresponds to who he is. His character, it's an extension of him. It's not something outside of him that he lives up to. But we compare that to our righteousness, our righteousness, because this verse talks about us being justified or righteousified. We're made righteous, justified. So how is it that we can be made righteous? That's what this passage is seeking to teach us and tell us. The word justified, when we think of us being justified, it means legally declared righteous. This this terminology is what they would use in a legal system. That idea of, of, of declaring somebody not guilty, giving that verdict of not guilty, legally declared righteous. In some sense, it's like even more than being Declared not guilty, because not guilty just means you didn't do that. Being declared righteous means that in some sense there's, there's, there's black in your ledger, right? There, you, you've earned, you're, you're ahead of the game if you're righteous. Another way to think about it, and this is, this is a simple way to do it, you take that word justified, you break it up into syllables, just if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified, just if I'd never sinned. It's just as if you had never committed a sin in your life. That's what it would mean for God to make you righteous, to make you stand before his throne, as we sing in a lot of songs, um, uh, to stand before God's throne righteous, blameless before his sight. That is astonishing to say that that's even a possibility, that God's even talking about that, that, that being in the realm of possibility, that we might be made right before him, justified. And this righteousness that we see from that that phrase, but now the righteousness of God has appeared. It's from this righteousness is, that's what righteousness is, but this righteousness is from God. That but now means that he's interrupting what was going on. There was this state that we were in as, as sinful humanity, depraved, lost, hopeless, But now God breaks in. This righteousness is from him and it breaks in. It interrupts the song that we were singing of death and it brings in this song of life. He interrupts. He breaks into the conversation. And this righteousness is from God. If it's from God, that means it's not from us. This is not a righteousness that's found in us. It's not a righteousness found in us. Have you ever been at Walmart and you're looking for that one specific thing that you know is in Walmart. And, and, and you just, you're looking for it. You're in the craft aisle. Then you're in the, the, the sewing aisle. Then you're, you're looking for all these little things that your wife has sent you to find that you just know it's there. But then you, you get the app out. You look at the Walmart app and you realize they don't have any. They don't have it at this store. You're looking for something that can't be found there. You ever done that before? You're, you're at a place. You're looking for something only to find out it can't be found there. That's righteousness in you. It can't be found in you. If you're looking for righteousness in your person or your works or your words or your deeds, it cannot be found. 
To look for righteousness in us is something that can't be found. You might say, is it deep in my heart? Maybe I can find some righteousness in myself in the way I've treated somebody in the past. Maybe I've held the door open for an old lady that was, that was maybe that was righteous. Maybe in my devotional life, how devoted I can be to the Lord. Is that where I can be made righteous? No, there is no righteousness that can be found in you. The Lord even says to those in the Old Testament, all your sacrifices and your, 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 your good deeds on the outside are like dirty rags to me if they're not done from a right heart. And those who are in the state of chapters 1 and 2, even the good things that we do are not done in faith in the Lord. Therefore, they're, they're, they're filthy rags to him. That righteousness cannot be found in us. So this righteousness is foreign to us. Um, a lot of theologians will talk about this, this justification, this righteousness is a foreign righteousness. It's, it's from somewhere else. When something's foreign, it means it, it's, it's not supposed to be there. It stands out. Have you ever been someplace where you, you just feel like you stand out like a sore thumb? Like you just, you just stand out? Whitney and I experienced that when we were in India. There were times when we were in a village and we were the only white faces for, I'm talking like hundreds of miles like there would be no one that would look like us anywhere close to us. It was a, it was a crazy feeling. Um, it was a feeling that we don't often get to experience um, in our culture. But when I, when I was, when we were there, we just stood out. There was no way that we could be mistaken for, for being one, a native Indian person. We just stood out. And that righteousness that we have is foreign to us. Therefore, it should stand out. When we as Christians are, are righteous and we are declared righteous and we live righteous, it's going to stand out because it's not something native to this land. Our righteousness is not native to us. It stands out. This righteousness is from God. So second, this righteousness is apart from the law. Notice in verse 21, it says, but now a righteousness of God has manifested apart from the law. Apart from the law. It doesn't come from obeying the law. Remember, God had given this law and the law was a good thing. But what weakened the law? What made the law inefficient? It was us. It was Romans 8 says, but God has done what the law could not do or weakened by the flesh could not do. The law was weakened by the flesh. There was an equation. There was a perfect God who made a good law. And he gave it to imperfect people. And we're the equation, we're the variable that causes that equation to mess up. So therefore, the results are not righteousness. Man plus the law does not equal righteousness. There has to be something done about it. So this righteousness that comes to us is not from the law. We don't get it by obeying. And notice that this righteousness, it's apart from the law, but testified about in the law. You notice that? He says this this righteousness is apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. If you go back and look to the Old Testament, you can see how God was 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 um, giving foreshad was foreshadowing, giving a foretaste of this coming righteousness. We saw uh, we mentioned last week that Moses talked about how that the Israelites they, they were right on the outside, but they needed to be circumcised in their hearts. Their hearts needed to be changed. Jeremiah talks about the Lord writing the law on their hearts. Ezekiel talks about removing the heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. We can see hints and traces of this idea of God giving us 
a righteousness that's not our own. The law and the prophets testified to it. They could talk about it, but they could not bring about it. The law and the prophets could testify to righteousness, but it couldn't bring about righteousness. This righteousness is apart from the law. So this righteousness is not a supplement to what we do. You know what supplements are? If, you, if you're on a diet and maybe you like to work out, you'll take a supplement. Like you, you'll, you drink a protein shake after a workout so it can supplement what you're not getting in your diet. Or maybe you take a vitamin uh, or a multivitamin that will give you extra supplements to, 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 to fill in the gaps in your diet that you're not getting. God's righteousness is not a supplement to your obedience. What that means is it's not like you've gone so far and you've done all you can and God fills in that little gap at the end with a supplement. That's not what's going on. This is a whole, this is a completely new regimen of living. This is a completely new diet. It's not a supplement to your diet. It's a completely new diet. This righteousness is not a supplement for your efforts. This righteousness is a replacement for your efforts. It's a replacement for your effort. This righteousness comes apart from the law. And third, this righteousness comes through faith. It's apart from the law, and it comes through faith. That word faith is, we're going to tell you that there's a whole chapter devoted to that in chapter four, and we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But but, but faith itself is, in some sense, people have called it the anti-work. It's the opposite of work. I want you to picture this. Um, All of us maybe have been to the circus or seen the circus. We've at least seen trapeze artists. Right, and the tra- trapeze artists, what they'll do is they'll, they'll, you know, you got the big trapeze that's swinging, and they'll swing, and they'll jump from this one and go to the next one. Um, a lot of times it'll be two people um, who will be, you'll jump from one trapeze, and they'll be caught by the next person. Now, if you think about somebody who's hanging from a trapeze, and they flip, and they leave that trapeze, one of the worst things they can do is try to save themselves when they're suspended in the air, to try to work and grab onto that next person. From what I understand, the trapeze artists, when they do that, when they leave that trapeze, they simply put their arms in a certain place and they let that person that's catching them catch them. The worst thing they could do is to try to scramble and grab and do something in their own effort to save themselves. They simply open their hands, stick them out, and receive the salvation that that next trapeze artist is trying to give them. And the same thing, I think, that's a, I think that's a picture of our faith in the Lord. Faith is the realization that whatever I do in my own effort, with my own hands, will ultimately lead to my doom. Like those Jewish people that we talked about in chapter 2. They said, well, we don't do all the bad stuff. We've got this religion that we can use. That we, we've got this religion that can save us. That is not what's going to save us. That's working. That's striving in our own effort, scrambling to grab onto what wants to grab onto us. Faith is simply opening our hands and saying, Lord, I trust. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my effort. I believe what Jesus did on the cross paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again to give me a new life. I'm trusting in that. I'm believing in it. I'm not working to get myself to heaven. I'm trusting that you've already done the work to get me to heaven. That's faith. And this righteousness that God, that has appeared, that has manifested, that's come to us, only comes through faith. It does not come through efforts that we can do. Nothing that we can put forward can do that. So this righteousness is through faith. Through faith. 
in Jesus, through faith in Jesus. And then also we see that this righteousness is for everyone. This righteousness is for everyone. Verse 22 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. Every single person, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done, all people can have this righteousness from God if they believe. That's the only qualifier. If they believe. If they believe. Open to all. Because there is no distinction in this gospel. Because he says in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person has equally fallen short of the glory of God. Equally fallen short of the glory of God. Some of us may have lived better lives than others. If you want to play the comparison game, yeah, maybe your life's better than Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler or whatever. But in the grand scheme of things, if the goal is to get from this side of the Grand Canyon to that side of the Grand Canyon, no matter what human effort there is, no one's going to get across the canyon, right? Doesn't matter if I can jump five feet, but you can jump 55 feet, won't matter. The best life still won't get you across that canyon. In the same way, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. How many of us have memorized that verse from the Romans road, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all memorized that from from those gospel classes in the past. Unfortunately, we don't memorize verse 24 along with it because it's it's a complement to it. Paul says there is no distinction for all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking too fast. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace. I added the word "all" just because that's the that's the idea. All have fallen short, and all are justified. So it's, there's no distinction in the fact that you've fallen. There's also no distinction in the fact that He justifies us. He doesn't pick and choose who he justifies. He justifies those who have faith in him, open to all of us. Again, no matter where you're from, where you're from, what you've done and who you are, that justification is open to you. All have sinned and fall short and all are justified by his grace as a gift. There's not the Gentiles who are saved by grace and the Jews who are saved by the law. That's not how it works. There's no distinction. It's always been through faith, which we're going to see in chapter four. Even Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, was saved by faith, not by works. That's always been the plan, that we'd be saved by grace through faith. And now we have that in Jesus, in Jesus. I want to talk about this next, um, this next phrase. Actually, as a matter of fact, we're going to save this next phrase for next week um, because it, it's, it's so good to, to dig into. But we've seen this righteousness that we have, this righteousness that's appeared, came at the exact proper time. Back to that phrase, but now, now that righteousness has appeared. It wasn't, uh, it came at the exact proper time when you needed it. When you were at the bottom of your rope, when you were at rock bottom, when you had no place to go, no resources left, you had no, no, no accounts that you could draw from. All your, your righteousness credit cards were maxed out. There was no other place that you could turn. But now, at that proper time, is when God revealed this righteousness. And that can be available to you. Because hopefully by the, by the end of chapter 2, you've realized, and, and the part of chapter 3, all of us are brought to our knees before God in chapters 1 and 2. Just beat down, brought to rock bottom, every single one of us. And it's possible that some of us in this room right now are similar to those Gentiles 
who had never had religion. They'd never been exposed to God and they were sinful. They didn't have uh, they didn't have laws or, or guidance for their life. Therefore, they were sinful. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're like, you know, I, I haven't been around this God stuff, this Jesus stuff much. But now I, I'm hearing these words and I need this righteousness. I realize I'm not right before God and I need this righteousness. Maybe you're not like the Gentile in, in this in this chapter. Maybe you're more like the Jew in this chapter who says, I've had lots of religion my whole life and I've always followed the rules. And, but I've never truly trusted. I've always thought the rules that I follow make me right before God. But that is not the case. Paul's making the point, bringing us all, no distinction. All of us need Jesus. All of us need to be right before God. And how is it that you can make yourself right? How is it that you can make up for, for all that you've done? How can you atone for your sins? It's not by working it's not by doing. It's not by trying harder. It's not by mustering up more religious fervor. It's by letting go and letting God. Trusting in what Christ has done on the cross for you. Knowing that it was enough. And letting him save you. Maybe that's you this morning. But as we sing this song in a few moments. And we respond to the Lord. Use that time to respond to God to say, Lord. I need your righteousness, not a righteousness of my own that that I can accomplish, but a righteousness that can only come through faith in Jesus. Maybe you ask him, Lord, build up that faith in me that that needs to trust in you. Like that. uh, Like that leper from the um, from the Gospels, that says he's not a leper, he's a centurion. He says, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Maybe this morning you're, you're struggling to believe in the Lord. Maybe you say, Lord, just help me to trust in you. I want to, I do trust in you, but help me to trust in you. Maybe that's you this morning. But wherever you find yourself sitting here this morning, uh, may God build up in you a faith that trusts in him and not in your own works. Let's pray.